Welcome, Bouncer Backers, to this week's episode of Bouncing Back Stronger, the podcast where we explore the incredible power of resilience, personal growth, and triumph over adversity. I'm your host, Sarah Jane Vasquez, and I'm thrilled to embark on this transformative journey with you. Whether you're seeking inspiration, guidance, or simply reminded that you're not alone on your journey, Bouncing Back Stronger is here to support and empower you. We believe that every setback is an opportunity for a comeback, and every challenge is a chance for growth. Let's go. Today, we delved into Clinch's journey, and perhaps you found parts of the story resonating with your own experiences, the trauma of bullying, the retreat inwards, and the avoidance of people. And these are struggles that many of us face. Clint's story reminds us that seeking help, just like he did with therapy, can be a turning point in our lives. I think it's important to remember one crucial thing. None of us have it all figured out. We're all navigating this complex journey called life, making it up as we go along. And it's okay not to be perfect, and it's okay to stumble along the way. The important part is to show up. Join us for next week for part two of our conversation with Clint, where he shares insights about the power of meditation and other aspects of self-discovery. I'll see you then. Didn't you work in a, you worked in prisons? Yes. Yeah. In, so as I, I was bullied in school, I decided to become a therapist because I really liked what therapy did for me. And it made yeah. me understand and recognize a lot of different things about myself that I still use to this day. Mm-hmm. And I went to... So then I got my investor, I got my bachelor's degree, and then I went and got my master's degree. And when I was getting my master's degree, I worked in a maximum security prison as a therapist. And as a therapist, kind of in training. Right. And just okay. kind of working that must have been really interesting. There. Yeah. And so I worked in a maximum security prison in what's called their special housing unit, which is where it was people that had diagnosed mental health issues like okay. bipolar, depression, anxiety, and they need medication and those kind of things. Part of my job was to do one on one individual therapy with basically rapists, murderers, child molesters, armed wow. robbers. Okay. You're talking like the hardest of the hardcore. And being in there really, you know, taught me how the story we tell ourselves shapes our entire life. Yeah. But that the only place the story comes from is from the people in our life and the circumstances in which we were raised. It doesn't mean that you can't get out of your circumstances and change the story. But if yeah. that story is told to you every day, that you are no good, that you are gonna that you're gonna be a screw up just like your dad. You're gonna be an addict just like your dad. You're gonna be violent just like your dad. You're gonna be violent just like your mom. You're gonna be all these different things. And it programs you to think that. Yeah. And I was watching some documentary or something the other day. Now I don't know the statistic, I can't remember it, but it's fairly high. Mm-hmm. And it said in the UK prison system, I'm not sure about mm-hmm. the US, but the percentage of prisoners in there who have the reading age of about five to six mm-hmm. is very high. Yep. And I was shocked that in this day yeah, and age... like something in the... Yeah. Here, I know in the States, yeah. it's something like 75 to 80%. It's ridiculously I'm sure it's something high. similar. And most yeah. of them have like dyslexia or they have yeah. other kind of neurocognitive disorders yeah. that makes it hurt for them yeah, to learn same. and all these different things. And it, you see so it's that. Tragic, it's tragic, isn't like, it? It's because they it's have this, this going on for themselves mm-hmm. and without yeah. any support, that mm-hmm. there's been no support, there's been no mm-hmm. guidance. 
Mm-hmm. Is it really surprising that that's where and as society yeah. failed them? I mean, this is a completely other yeah. subject, and but yeah, society is, is that, has. Yeah, and, and the sad thing is that where I worked in where I worked there, I only worked there for a year during my graduate program. Okay. But I felt the change in myself because while I was there, we were letting people back out into the community and most of them were back before I left. That's yeah. the thing that blew my mind. I think statistically, probably that's let out like as well. Yeah. Six, like, like I probably had a, let's see, the place when I was working there, mm. they had about 150 people. Mm. While I was there, we left, we let 10 out because their time was, their uh-huh. time was up. They served their sentence. And before I left, I would say, but I think it was like five or six of them were back with, with more intense crimes. And so when they came back in, my saw them, I was like, I said, you got out. You were so excited to get out. What happened? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. well, I got out. I realized I don't know how to live out there. That's so it. I had to do something. Don't know back. anything else. I'm, I'm I don't, scared. I don't know anything else. Fear. It was like fear again, right? Yeah. It goes right back to the fear. I'm so afraid. I'm more afraid out there in the real world than in prison. Mm-hmm. And that says a lot, yeah. doesn't it? Because it's, it's yeah. super structured. I don't have to think. People yeah. tell me what to do. People tell me what to eat. I'm I safe. have TV. I have, in a way, I'm I can safe. work out. Yeah, I can work out. I have TV. I have friends. I have medical care. I have all the things I don't need to work for. All I have to do is not hurt other people while I'm in here and I get cared for. And the thing is, for most of these, for most of these, these, most of them were, I worked in men's prison. So all of these men were basically scared little boys that were just wanting to be cared for. And so they had, so they, they picked the place where they could. And in a way, it was almost kind of like a weird mother's womb for them which is just, it, it always just surprised me about that. Going all Freudian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in there somewhere. Exactly Freud some things. Yeah. So, yeah, that's obviously a very fascinating, I'm sure you learned a lot there because, you know, I, I, I know I would. Yeah. It was yeah. one of those things that, it was an experience that I'm glad I had, but it's also an experience that I'm glad I didn't stay. Oh, because yeah. I knew that staying in there, because the only dude really became where, the way I had to think when I was in there versus the way I had to think when I was out, because that way I would go in, I would have to go in through all the gates and all the different stuff. And I was locked in just like, so now I had to live by prison rules. Yeah. Then when I go back out in the world, there was, and I have to live by civilization and society's world rules. And it's just such a weird disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. So then from there, I moved to California and I met my wife and we, I, you know, I figured why not California? It's a large place to live. There's lots of people that have stuff there and mm-hmm. I can help out. So I moved there and did that. And then about 2003, my mom got sick with an autoimmune disorder. Okay. And she ultimately ended up committing suicide because oh. she went from basically having the body of a 50 year old to the body of a 90 year old in the space of about a year. Wow. And that was one of those things that, that, I'd been now out of school since 2001. So I'd been doing therapy. I'd been working in a locked psychiatric hospital for people that were suicidal. When she decided to do that, I was with her did two you, weeks before. Did you see her? Right. Did you see that coming, Clint? Well, I saw it coming more than anybody else because she told me exactly what she was going to do. Really? I was with her, a hospital that she was at. And she told me exactly what she was going to do. And I went and told all the doctors and nurses exactly what she was going to do. Okay. And they basically told me as long as she goes through the program, she'll be fine. And so they ignored uh, it in a way. They, they ignored it yeah. because 
they ignored it. And my mom actually ended up having to kick me out of the room with them because I became very belligerent with them. And I probably was not very professional with them. And I was like, you don't understand. I do this for a living. I've been doing this now for seven years. I've got my license. I, I, have, a, I have a degree in this. I work with people who say this to me on a daily basis. Uh, this is my job. So what she's telling me is 100% true. Uh-huh. And they were like, no, as long as she does this stuff, she'll be okay. And I'm like, no, I don't understand. She's not. She's yeah. going to do this. And so two weeks later, after she was released, she ended up committing suicide the exact way that she said. So I, so basically that broke me in a way that surprised me because it broke me in a way that I couldn't trust the very institutions that I was working for. It, it broke me because if I can't help my own mom, then how can I help? So you know, I spiraled I into... I, that's going back how many years is it? To, to 10 years? It'll be 18, it'll be 18, 18 years 18 this years. October. So 18 years ago, but still, if someone's classed as a suicide risk here, you know, mm-hmm. even contemplated it and expressed, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. said, then yep. they they wouldn't be allowed at home. They wouldn't oh, be allowed in their own company. Oh, believe me, I, I am fully yeah. aware. And the laws have yeah. changed a lot in 18 years. They, yeah. Because, yes, because of because of just the sheer amount of people that have been and, and have been continuing to, but you know, to do that. She was obviously in a lot of pain. She was yeah. in pain 24 seven because yeah. the, the disorder she had was called dermatomyositis. And basically wow. her immune system was liquefying all joints and tendons in her body. Liquefying? So, liquefying. Gosh. So it was basically- So her so body her, was her, becoming a baby. Yeah, her like, body was basically was cannibalizing itself in the areas that you always oh, have to move and use to that. Gosh. It was like her, so basically her, like the, the, the cushions in between her C4, from between, in between yeah. her spinal column, every yeah. single joint was- was doing that. And often the treatment was worse than the disease. They would put her on medications that would then make her basically jump manic and psychotic and these wow. different kinds of things trying to suppress her immune system. But then she would get sick and get like the flu and get all these different illnesses and stuff uh-huh. on top of it and shingles and all these things. And so her life became a nightmare. So was your father I still not... still there? Yep. Yeah, my yeah. dad my dad is still alive. He's yeah. remarried and he's traveling the world and he, he loves it. He's doing really good. Yeah. And he's he's doing better. But it was really hard for about the first five, six years because he's the one that found her and yeah, he's the one that had to go through all that stuff. And so it yeah. was these kind of things that that you But know, that, it obviously she felt like she had no choice. She'd go and she well, she was in pain twenty four seven and in yeah. the end she began to lose her faith. And that for her was it was the end. She but then, of course, explain. it's how it affects then the people who are left and picking up the pieces, yes. then, including then you. Then it it's the it's the long term solution to a short, usually a short term problem, and then transfers all the pain onto everybody else uh-huh. because you don't know. Because for me, especially, it was I should have done more. I should have taken her out of there the moment they said I felt guilty. Moment they said no. I should have died. I should have could have would all the things right and that. Uh-huh plagued me with guilt and grief oh. and loss and just inadequacy and all these things. All the all of the fears that I had already with imposter syndrome and all of the stuff that's just magnified it. Yeah. And so and, I and quite often my profession so, something else traumatic can actually make mm-hmm. previous traumas come back on and even more yeah. so. Yeah. So I left the profession a couple of years. Okay. So you I, needed so I was that married, you needed to I take left a break. the profession a couple yeah. of years. I decided to go do real estate. Then 2008 happened, and my wife and I lost everything. 
So oh. 2009, I had to close my real estate business. That's in just your had a new... recession. Yep. Yeah. 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 We, we lost everything. I just had, to, we just had our baby. Oh. We just had a new, our newborn son. And we had to go and move in with my in-laws for about a year and a half. And so it was in that moment that I had to go. I, started, I went, I had my license. I went back and I started working for a health insurance company as a therapist and as a social worker. And I you know, didn't want to do the work. I don't like working for a health insurance company because health insurance companies are all about the bottom line and how fast can you get things done. The dollars. Instead of, yeah, instead of how much can you get them well. Yeah. And so, but I did that. And I was working and doing that. And it was in those moments that I realized that I had to change everything because I was burned out. I was burned out, anxious, depressed, exhausted. And I was fundamentally disconnected from myself, from my family, from my son, from my wife, from my last parents, from all the people that were trying to support me. I was just disconnected because I just, because I was so burned out. But for me, that's what I think burnout is. I think burnout yeah. is disconnection. It's yeah that it's that severe it's not just i'm sad i'm having a day it's no i'd agree I with feel that disconnected it's retreating isn't it it's retreating yes it's going mm-hmm. in your cave it's, i am yes. done you know yeah, I'm, done. I'm done so how do you decide is this the kind of husband i want to be is this the kind of man i want to be is this the kind of father i want yeah. and i decided no so i took all the stuff that i learned and i went back to when i was in undergrad and graduate school, I had a comparative religion class in undergrad and I started learning Buddhism. So I went back to doing meditation and this is a practice I still do to this day. Is yeah. So I started going back to meditation and I started meditating just a little bit each day because mm-hmm. I had a newborn. So I didn't have a half hour to meditate. So I had to mm-hmm. figure out how can I get some meditation in when I have maybe three to five minutes in between him waking up and eating food. <laughs> and of course, I know did you do guided meditations or did you just sit quietly or and get in a quiet moment with a newborn as well? I did my own, but I did my own kind of version of it. I did kind yeah. of a combination of where I did. I, I didn't know about binaural beats yet. So I'll talk more about that. That's when I have my practice now. But when I started, I basically started out where I started doing a morning meditation, a lunchtime meditation, and then an evening meditation. And the morning meditation I did for about three minutes where I talk, where basically I worked on what are my intentions for today? Okay, so you're setting your intentions. Yeah, in the beginning, my intentions were, of course, vast and lofty, and I had (laughs) to begin to shriek them back. So like, I have two main intentions that I follow every day now. And then I go to lunchtime and I look at those intentions and I say, okay, I meditate on that. Have I been meeting these intentions? Have I been doing this stuff? Just just for the listeners, Mm -hmm. you know, could you give us an example of an intention that you may set? Sure. My, my intentions now are I have one personal and one professional. Okay. My personal one is when I'm with anybody, when I'm with people, when I'm with my dog, when I'm just with myself, to be present, to really focus on recognizing that there, the, the next second doesn't, I have to be here. I have to be present because that is, lets me be engaged fully in my life. How and then often the second how often, just to go back to that, Yeah. for example, I might be talking to somebody and I, I am interested in this person, I'm interested in what they've uh-huh. got to say. However, something comes in my head and I start to think yep. about that. And then mm-hmm. they'll say, so yeah, is that okay? Yep, that's fine. And I'll think I didn't hear any of that yeah. because I was not present. 
Okay. But it, it's a skill. No, it's a to practice. Self. It's a skill. Yes. Okay. It's a skill. It's a practice. That's why I do this every day. That's yes. why I check in halfway through the day. So my second one, what I do professionally is I look for the light bulb. And I, and I do my best when I'm working with people and I start to see that little flicker of that light bulb above their head that they're starting to see that they can change, that my job is now to take that light bulb and get it so it explodes so that they can recognize that they can change. And so that's that's the way I look at it. If I can get, even if I, and for me, my goal is if I just get a flicker of a light bulb above somebody's head, this one person, and note I said, if I see it, it's not if they see it. It's if I see it. If I see that they're getting the flicker, then that's what I'm so going to work on. So it's not for them as such to nope. have the aha moment. That nope. will come later. It's for you mm-hmm. to have the aha moment as the therapist goes, mm-hmm. oh, I've got it. This is what's resonating yeah, I with know, them. I know this where we can go what, with this. This is what's making them see that there's yeah. a different path. There's a path out of this darkness they feel uh-huh. very in. This is the way. Yeah. So that's, and again, how do I do that? Well, I just to be present. If I'm not present there, I'm going to miss it because it happens that fast. It's just quick. the way they, the way their eyes change, the way their face changes, the way their body language changes, the way they kind of lean forward really quick. Those kind of things that can last for literally less than a second that you spot that. And then you're like, hey, I noticed this. And when you, when you say that to them, they're like, oh, well, what, what do you mean? What do you mean you noticed something? It's those kind of things. And then when I figure that out, I then push on that. But this is for me to recognize that I'm being present in my sessions, that I'm helping them to recognize and see. Because the thing is, is my story is my story. The way I got out of it is the way I got out of it. It's not necessarily going to be the way you get out of it. Absolutely. I can teach you all all the tools in the world. Yeah. I can teach you all the tools that I know. But your way of combining the tools is not going to be my way. Yeah, and that's, that's the way why, I, I um, remind even, people. Even when you say, you know, about your emotional management plan, mm-hmm. somebody might go, "Yep, yeah, I can do them all in that order. That's what I'll do." Somebody else might mm-hmm. say, "Well, as you said about the the veteran, he's like, I just can't yeah. do the journal thing right now." Mm-hmm. You know, we're all different, and someone might say, "Well, I'll do mm-hmm. that, but I'm gonna do it a different way." Even now, writing programs for my clients, you know, certain kind of depending on what it is they've mm-hmm. come for, but it. It's in great big capitals that this is flexible, you know, yeah. because what may work for one person is not going to, might not work for you. And that's where yeah. we adapt and change. Yeah. So important. And that's one of the that's things, why right? Comparison so, is, is, a, is a waste of time. You know, oh, you're yeah. comparing you yourself to compare. somebody else is ridiculous no. because you're not that person. I mean, yeah. I mean, if I yeah. compare myself to Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, I'm going to fall short every time. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? And I know that. But yet, how often do we do that, right? Yeah. And that's part of the thing, right? The, the, bio, the, the psychological, biological component of Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all these things, which are designed by very, very smart people to ping that ancient part of your brain to say, Dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. Look, approval, approval, approval. That's why we get so hooked on because yeah. it is triggering the same system as drinking a bottle of beer. It's triggering the same system as, you know, accomplishing a task. It's triggering the exact same system, only it's forced triggering at an exponential rate so that you need more and more and more. And that's why you get dopamine fatigue yeah. when you look at Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, those kind of things. And like, Am I saying don't do that? No, I'm saying do everything in moderation. That's what I'm yeah. saying. I, I like a good scroll as much as the next yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I do know myself though, if I'm, I do have to give myself breaks from social media and I use social yeah. media quite a lot for, you know, posting and, and put things and on for clients and, and yeah, and, yeah. and, and podcasting and, you know, mm -hmm. there's great things. I, like, you won't be here if it wasn't for social media, you know, That's right. and, and things like that. But then I do know that I need to take certain breaks. I need to come mm -hmm. away from it now and again, because sometimes it can take over in a way. And I, I like, yeah. no, no, pull back, Sarah, pull back, you know, have a break. And that's why the most important thing that you can do is have a very consistent floor and ceiling for your day where my floor goes, I wake up, I do my meditation, mm -hmm. I do my journaling, I get ready for my day, I have mm -hmm. a good breakfast, I get my kid to school. Mm -hmm. Right now we're in that mode. So yeah. that is, that is, that's what's going on right now as yeah. my everyday morning routine. And then I have my lunchtime routine where I stop work. I leave my office. I go somewhere and eat. Yeah. I meditate. I journal a lot. Am I meeting my intentions for today? Am I meeting those two things I'm trying to go through? Mm -hmm. Then the end of the day, I make sure that my electronics go off an hour before bed. Mm -hmm. No TV, no phone. Problem with book is that I, I like reading books and they're on Kindle now. So I, that's one electronic. I, I let it slide <laughs> by. And can you get the no paper by Mercy Clint? Yeah, well, I could, but yeah. then I then my entire house would be like filled with books, and you have yeah, to move yeah, through yeah. like a. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hear completely what you're saying, and you know, yeah. oh, I have so good, many good intentions. You know, I will not work after such in time, and I will give mm -hmm. myself this and my lunch. I will go and do this, mm -hmm. and I will. So no, I yeah. try. But I need to. You I want to not. There is no try. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm just, just let like, just hear me out. <laughs> I am one of those that needs to be firmer with my own boundaries. Mm -hmm. That's what I preach, basically. I'll tell my clients to be yep. firm with their boundaries, but I too need to be firm yeah. with my boundaries because don't we all? You know we all do? that if you're not taking care of yourself, and mm -hmm. I do think for us self-employed people, it's yeah. a little bit trickier because. We can always be working, can't we? You know? Oh, yeah. So, so easy. it's not like I leave the office at five o'clock, come home in my, yeah. you know, car and get out and I'm done for the day. Mm -hmm. Like that used to be the case. No, it's like, oh, yeah. well, I could just go there. Oh, well, okay. I can see you at seven. I'll go in there. Okay. It can get yeah. out of hand. So you've got to but have that's also your boundaries me, and way. this kind of structure. Yeah. And the way I, I've strengthened my boundaries is I worked yeah. from home for a decade. I yeah. did that. And it was the worst like thing me. I've ever done. <laughs> I, mean, I worked from home for it. I worked for, I worked from home for a decade. I did that. So now this is a rented office space away from yeah. my home. Yeah. I will you physically not leave the house. I will go not to your work office. At, yeah, I will yeah. not work at home anymore because the one door that I have to go to the office in our house when I was working from home was not enough to keep me from thinking about. Yeah. It. Yeah. It's something so I, to I had to physically remove myself. And I'm like, you know what? I spend about six hundred bucks a month on this place. Yeah. And you know what? Worth it every penny because I know myself that if I was doing this from home, I only I would eat, sleep, and do this twenty four seven until I would show up and they'd be like, "What's wrong with you?" Well, I've been awake for about four days now because I've been trying to do all the stuff, and it's like, yeah. no, it goes back that. to balance, me. doesn't it? You know that balance yes. that that oh, that looking after yourself, and as I said, she just mm -hmm. before we started recording, you know, self care keeps coming up over and over again in the podcast. Yeah. But if you don't look after you, you can't look after anyone else. Hundred percent. You're going to be useless if you burnt out. 
to to exactly you know, whoever you're serving or your family or your friends, you know. And that's one of the things that I love is that I remember that. So my crisis intervention teacher, what she told me when I was learning crisis intervention techniques for doing therapy, she basically told us this thing, which has always stuck with me, which I will never forget, which is you have two choices as a therapist or as just a person in the world. You can either be the lightning rod or you're the one holding on to the lightning rod. And if you're the one holding on to the lightning rod, watch out, because if you smell Kentucky Fried Chicken, that's you, because you're cooking yourself. Because a lightning rod's job is pretty simple. Yeah. Take the energy, ground it out. Yeah. So as a lightning rod, as a therapist, as a person, is you recognize other people's stuff is their stuff. The people are going to throw lightning bolts at you mm-hmm. all day long. Mm-hmm. It could be physical. It could be emotional. It could be mental. It could be your own stuff that you're that's ricocheting off and hitting back at you. But that lightning always hits you. But if you recognize it for what it is, like, this is mine. I own this. This is yours. You have to own that mm-hmm. because the thing about human beings is I'm more than happy to give you my stuff if you'll take it. Mm-hmm. If you'll take it from me, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Because why do you think you, people can be therapists and life coach? Because people don't want to hold their stuff and they don't know what to do with it because they yeah. can smell themselves turning into Kentucky fried Kentucky chicken, fried chicken. And they don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> I like that quote, actually. It's very apt as a, as a therapist. You know, it also reminds me of you know, I am responsible to you, not for you. Yes. I am responsible for myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's where you, it's when you say, right, when you say to people, look, if I care more about what's going on in your life than you do, then we have a problem. Because mm. that's not the way it's supposed to work. No, no, no way. I can't do that. I can't yeah, care more about your life together, than you do. But yeah. Yeah. We so- can explore it together. Clint, we, we, we're coming to the end, near the end, but sure. there's two things. Did we get to your third intention? You said your first one is to be present. Your second one, look for light mm-hmm. bulbs. And your third mm-hmm. one, did I miss that? No, I no. only have two. I had ah, a lot more, but I, yeah. I, I, I boiled it down when, to two, but when, I do, I do my meditate. meditation and my journaling. I do my meditation right. and journaling practice three times a day. So at and night time, do you have an intention yeah. when you're going to sleep? I, at nighttime, I just go back and I look throughout the course of my day, my yeah. day and see where could I have first corrected better. Yeah, I just reflection. go back and I just do reflection. But yeah. the way, the reason why I do that is because I look at it by having it in these three points a day, I'm creating guardrails for myself mm-hmm. because yeah. I know me that if I don't have those guardrails, I'm more than happy to green off an emotional clip at, well, at any time. Well, it's a checking in with yourself, isn't it? It's like, mm-hmm. where are you right now? Let's have a check-in just yeah. as you would with a friend. You know, and phone, I'm phoning mindful. a friend of a phone in me. Yeah. So where yeah. are you? Do you know, do you just need to have a little five minute way? Do you want some yeah. quiet time? You know, I even sometimes just like going into got like a little kind of tiny little conservatory. And I'll sometimes mm-hmm. got no TV in it. And then so I could just go in there, sit in there, just look out to the garden. Yep. I could just sit. I just sit. I've not got anything well, I mean, on. It's just being, quiet. right? We, yeah. I mean, one of my favorite things I talk to my clients about, which I always laugh about, is I'm like, look, we're great at being human doings. We're pretty bad at being human beings. We can yeah. go and do until we drop. But us just sitting and stopping and just being for five minutes at a time, for 10 minutes, you know, I mean, when people say, what do you mean you only meditate three minutes a day, three times a day? That's like only nine minutes. What does that do for you? I'm like, well, you have to remember, Meditation isn't about silence. It's not about stopping your brain from doing its job, which is thinking, processing, organizing, all the stuff. You physically can't do that. Your job is to just find a place in yourself that gives you that sense of peace 
See, who lets you check it? And I think it's that idea that puts so many people off. Oh, Sarah, I could never meditate for 20. Oh, Sarah, I couldn't do it for half an hour. Sarah, my brain doesn't stop. There's no way I could do that. You know, the no's, the excuses. And actually, mm-hmm. again, going back to that, we're all different. It does yeah. not matter. You may nope. build that up. You may always stay at one, two minutes, three mm-hmm. minutes, whatever yeah. it is, five minutes, you know. Yeah. But I guarantee if you can just start, I guarantee mm-hmm. you will still be there at five minutes or three, whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. Because once you start kind of sinking to that feeling, mm-hmm. and as you, you're quite right, Clint, you know, as you say, it's not about don't think of anything, don't think of anything, don't think of mm-hmm. anything, because that's just no. not possible. It's about allow the thought to come but don't give it, it a story yeah don't engage just let it flow by the way yeah. the way one of my one of my favorite visualizations that i use when i meditate mm. which really helps me get there fast is one of my buddhist teachers said to me when you think of meditation it's you sitting in the center of an island and around that island is your thought river and on that thought river is every single thought that you have is a little paper boat or it can be a, you know whatever you want he's like i picture it as little paper boats He's like, if you want, the boats can be different colors. They can have the little flags that tell you what the thought's about. They can do all of these things. But the thing is, and here's the thing, at any time you want to, in your mind, you can get up, walk over, and you can pick up that boat. And then you can take that boat and you can set the boat back down. But it's your choice. Every thought we have, every thought we engage with mm. is our choice to engage yeah. or not engage. And, yeah. that was, and that's why for three minutes, just letting my thoughts just flow Mm. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the best thing about it is the more you do it. Yeah. I do that in my daily life now. I do basically walking meditation where I just yeah. walk around and I just live my life and I know that there are thoughts there. And some I interact with, but most I don't because they don't mean anything. They just yeah. waste energy. You know, they they're just thoughts. Time. They take me in the wrong, they take me to the wrong place at the yeah. wrong time. Yeah. So I just have to stop. And breathe and, and recognize. Interestingly, there as well, meditation doesn't have to be, you know, sitting cross-legged on the floor or yep. on a chair. It can be, you just mentioned, a walking meditation. Mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody yesterday about meditation through exercise, like so through Pilates, mm-hmm. through your yoga, yep. you know, through your Vanasa, mm-hmm. you know, at the end and things like yep. that. I personally like a meditation after exercise, kind mm-hmm. of cooling down, relaxing down, my mind's mm-hmm. calm. Meditation through music, even, you know, meditation mm-hmm. through a book. There are so many ways maybe to just calm your mm-hmm. mind and calm that. And a really that. good thing is when you decide to do meditation, this is the thing that I learned through, through learning about EMDR is when I was talking earlier about what binaural beats are. So there's a there's Spotify playlists, YouTube stuff. When you look up binaural beats, It'll tell you, but what it does is <laughs> that it, was my last question to you to explain the binaural beats. So yeah. I'm glad you so brought bi- this up. How, so how binaural beats works is so it's it's just like if you're doing it's just like REM sleep. So what you're doing is the music you're having you have your headphones on. The music comes in one ear and then it slowly fades over to the other ear and then it fades back and forth. So it feels like kind of like it's going like this back and forth between your ears. But what it does is because everything's cross-linked in our brain. When it comes in this year, it's pinging the logic part okay. of your brain. Can you tell when me When it comes something? in this year, it's pinging the emotional part of your brain, which is making your brain go connect. It okay, gives you I need full to brain you access to connect stuff. I was listening to a Paul McKenna hypnotherapy thing the other day. He was, you know, he yep. was doing his hypnosis. Okay. I put it on uh-huh. 
and it's on a download. And it yep. came out of one side of the computer and then from the <laughs> keyboard, then the other side of the keyboard. I actually thought it was crazy. I was like, what is going on? Is Something's that wrong with my stuff. You broke it. Yes. It, right. So he's yes, doing that because, on purpose. He's got these two. Yes. Because the reason, here's the scientific reason behind yeah. it. Because Go on. This is just amazing. Just like EMDR, just yeah. like EMDR, just like yeah. those things, just like REM sleep, what you're so doing you is by pinging the different parts of your brain, yeah. you're creating... You're opening up the connections in between the center part of your brain. Okay. So now your whole brain is talking to itself. So and they've it, come together. Yes. Yeah, so it, it imprints the stuff that's going on deeper into your brain so you can learn it faster. Because before, sometimes you're just listening to only with your logical part of your brain and the emotional part of your brain is offering what it's doing. Sometimes you're just listening to a little bit the emotional part of your brain because you're like, oh, man, this doesn't work. This is what's going to happen. There's a story and all this stuff. But when you... Do the binaural beats when together. it crosses back and forth like that. It's going click. So now your whole brain is engaged and focused on learning the material. And that's the thing that people don't recognize. So I'm like, use it for studying. Use it when you're meditating. Use it when you're journaling. You know, use it in those ways because anytime you need to really focus on something, do that. It can be something as like... Would you do you it before be like, or during? Would you have it on? Would you do during. something like a little exercise before, or would you have it on while I'm? I do it during. I do during, it during. Yeah. I have binaural beats on really oh, low, where it's like I can almost hear it, where it's okay. like just that slight, where I almost have to strain to hear it, but not quite. Mm-hmm. So I'm so I'm semi consciously aware of it, basically. Mm-hmm. So I'm just sitting there and I'm breathing, and the music is flowing in here and then flowing over there, and then flowing in here and then flowing over there. But it's this semi conscious thing, but it's making my brain go click. So it's giving me full access to both the logic and the emotion. And that's the thing. Is this is, for everybody or is this for people who are, are struggling to focus? Maybe they've, you know. This is for everybody. Everyone, Because this, right. this is just a human brain thing. This yeah. is just what they found out, how the human brain works. This and is we can why listen. EMDR works so well to process trauma. And EMDR is with your eyes, isn't it? Moving side to well, side. Actually, well, EMDR, it, it, it says eye movement desensitization mm-hmm. reprocessing, but... Mm-hmm. You could actually have it where you can hold buzzers where it feels like you have a cell phone right. in each one of your hands. Yeah. And they also have the light bar and they also have it where it's tones too. And I, so I you have, can do it either way. I have, I do know a little of EMDR. I was going mm-hmm. to do a course in it, but it'll probably be next year or something now. But it, it allows, just isn't it for also really good for people who've had quite extensive trauma and they don't need to go over it. It's like they don't need to verbalize yes. it because yeah, with this with this kind of left side, right side, yeah. the eye so the way, or the buzzes. It, yeah. Or, or the even the tones. Because to or the tones. Because I, I have a kit where they can do either tones, eye bar, uh, light bar to follow the light, or they can do it by the buzzers. Most people have found really like the buzzers because yeah. it's le- they don't have because it's less they think less. So yeah. I've almost been like the buzzers. But what it comes down to is, is that People don't, you don't, when most trauma processing that the way it usually is done is tell me your story, tell me your trauma. Let, you know, basically, I want you to relive it right now and tell me your story. And it's like, no, 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 that's not what it is. In this, it's all about the way that I was trained to do EMDR. The first thing you do is you create, you construct ego strengthening places inside the brain. You construct what's called safe space, which is where for me, I'll just tell you what mine was. Mine was, so when I was 25, I was living with my best friend in California. We were scuba diving in Monterey, California. 
and it was brown jelly migration season. So I got to lay on the bottom of the ocean for 25 minutes and just go like this, covering this part, because this is the only game, it was cold water. So it's the only part of my skin that was showing. Mm. I had my seven mil wetsuit gloves on. Mm. And I laid there for 20 minutes watching brown jellyfish swim over my face. It was the most, with, with the ocean just rocking me back and forth, hearing just the breath in my lungs and the blood in my body mm-hmm. going through me. And so that's my safe, calm space that has been strengthened by EMDR. I and say, Then the I next say. thing that they taught is container and vault. So when you're working on a problem, if you can't get through the whole session, you have a place where you can lock it down so where it uh-huh. doesn't bother you. Yeah, And then the next one is one that I created with my client, which I call Smash Station. This is where you can go into your brain and if you feel like you keep hitting this wall, this thing keeps getting stuck when you're trying to break through this thing, but you can take this thing, make some kind of shape out of it or have it be a wall or have it be a, if it's a person, have it be like an effigy of them. And then you get to literally destroy it like you would in a smash room. You can burn it, blow it up, shred it. You know, Uh I have one client here he really likes cartoons. So he pretends it's like kicking Wally e. Coyote off of the cliff. And so that's what he does. And it he, just makes me laugh, right? The, invent- the inventiveness of people's brains is amazing. Yeah. And so you start with those three things. And then okay. you basically work them through their trauma by having them look at their trauma as if it's on a TV screen or on a movie screen. Yeah. It's where, that detachment. Yes, yeah. it's the detachment yeah. piece. But yeah. then the fun thing is you're the director. So part of the process is we teach you how to go in and edit the scene where you basically get to go in and edit the scene to be, this is what I wish would have happened. So you're reframing that yes. past trauma, aren't you? And yes, you're, yeah, you're changing the, the narrative. Yeah. yeah. The, the best way they describe it is imagine as if it's like you're taking, because the problem is with trauma, it gets burned into this part of your brain. And when it gets burned into this part of your brain, this cuts off access to it. So logic can't access this because usually you're traumatized for more than, you're usually done sleeping good or for about two weeks, up until about two weeks, which is why for the medication piece, like there's not a medication piece in the MDR, but for trauma now, if they give you a certain beta blocker, it actually can block the formation of of deep and great trauma. Right. And they've done this with soldiers and stuff like that. Yeah. And And I I did a podcast with a lady in Rhode Island and we were talking about the research and effects treatments about psychedelic mushrooms. You know, yep. that idea as well, that you are yep. not in your head almost. Yeah. You yeah. are detached. Mm-hmm. Just like you said there about yeah. the movie screen, you mm-hmm. know, you're coming yeah. outside of yourself. Yeah. And that's where there's been lots of success with, with yeah. veterans, complex yeah. PTSD, mm-hmm. because it's allowed them to perhaps look into look, look objectively mm-hmm. And some of these people now have not had medication in years, you know, yeah, it's, it's a marvelous to see. Great it results. is. I mean, it's the amazing thing, right? Is now that they're getting, now that they're recognizing that, that trauma is an injury and it's not just a mental disorder, mm. they can now justify different treatment options because yeah. it's an injury. Yeah. Because it's not just a mental disorder. It's like, oh, well, it's yeah. just the way you're thinking about it. No, yeah. it's not. No, it's not. It's, it's actually your the... brain has a burn wound. Yeah. inside of it that yeah. is being that whenever things get routed through it, it cranks it up to a million. It's yeah. like you're there. And yeah. so the way they talk about EMDR is that EMDR is designed to basically imagine that 
So you're looking at this. So what I tell my clients is, okay, you're, you're watching this on an ultra 8K, super intense screen. It's like you are in it when you're yeah. going through the trauma. Yeah. But what the thing is, is you get a controller and the controller, you get to change the setting. So you get to start to dim it and you can change, you change the narrative and you dim it to, mm-hmm. until it gets to like the old 1950s black and white style TV mm-hmm. until eventually maybe you just have it saved on like a black and white photograph. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is because Wonderful. it goes from this super bright thing that is right in your face yeah. to recognizing that I survived this. Yeah. I don't need to think it's about with this. me anymore. This does not affect yeah. me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's I've so I'm interesting and it's so effective. And I'd like to say, actually, if yeah. anyone's listening to this, you know, <laughs> there are EDMR, if, if anyone. Here we are. No, there are specialists out there like yourself, Clint. So if they're in your area, you know, people have gone, oh, do you know, this sounds really interesting. I'd like to know more about it. Then, you know, as I said, your contact details will be in the show notes. And again, just make sure you go to someone who is fully qualified within Mm -hmm. this practice because there's quite a lot. There's quite a lot to it. And death. But I certainly, we can certainly all jump on YouTube and do our binaural beats. Um, yeah. you know, just, just so much in that, Clint. And just to wrap up, sure. out of all of that, what's one takeaway yeah. that you would say to somebody to start today, if they can? Just take 15 minutes a day yeah. to slow down, mm-hmm. to breathe, mm-hmm. and to write it out. If you and take I like time the fact that, that you split it up. I like five minutes is doable in the morning. It's not yep. overwhelming. It's not a lot of time. Five minutes is certainly yep. doable in the afternoon and five minutes certainly do. And even if you're in the workplace, you know, you, you can go and get five minutes, yep. maybe you sit in your car. Like I no, tell my clients, I'm like, I'd, look, if you, need, if you need to do it, wait, you can do it one minute at a time. You can do it one minute at a time, 15 times a day, fine. You mm-hmm. can do it two minutes at a time, seven times a day, fine. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you need to do, whatever works for you, use that. Because the thing is, is every day is a choice. Every second is a choice. Yeah. You are the author of your own life. Yeah. So make the choice to change the story if story. you don't like it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. You can change it. You know, just because that's in your past, it doesn't have to end that way. Yeah. Really? So 15 and minutes a day. If, if, they're looking, if they're looking for two to three minutes to, to do stuff and they want to use that, I post stuff all the time on Facebook. And Instagram with like two to three minutes, just thoughts that I'm having about stuff. So it'd just brilliant. be a whole bunch of me doing this. Oh, brilliant. Well, as I said, your details will be in the show notes. So Clint, you're just starting your day. So enjoy. Make Thank it a you. good one. You're I'm sure your you day, will. So enjoy. <laughs> Have a you. great three-day weekend. Have fun. <laughs> Thank you very much. And you look after yourself. And thank you so much today. Really, really fascinating. This was great. I loved it. And... Um, That brings us to the conclusion of our conversation with Clint. And I'm sure that you'll agree that he has offered a wealth of valuable insight and food for thought. As we wrap up, I encourage you to carve out just 15 minutes a day, even if you break it up into pockets of quiet time and stillness. I'd like you to experience for yourself the impact that this can have on your well-being. And let me know email me, contact me on social media. I'd love to know how you got on. So thank you as always for joining us today. And remember, small steps can lead to remarkable transformations. Until next week. Bye. And that's a wrap for this episode of Bouncing Back Stronger. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you found inspiration and valuable insights to help you bounce back stronger in your own life. 
love to hear from you, so please feel free to share your thoughts, insights, or personal stories of resilience by reaching out to me via email or my social media channels in the show notes. I'll leave you with this. Resilience is a journey, and we're in this together. Farewell for now, bouncer backers, and I look forward to seeing you all next week for more like this.